Now, today we're going to be in our fifth lesson on training up our children. And uh, I tonight at Bible study, I said this the other night, that uh, we have time tonight. We've been in this now for five weeks. There may be things that, that I didn't cover because I didn't have the time, or there may be things that you want to know about your own particular circumstance with your children, that tonight Bible study would be a great time to ask it. Write your questions down. Think it through this afternoon. It's fine with me if we just talk about uh, uh, other things that you want to do. I do have a couple of things that I want to talk about tonight and going forward in the next year. But uh, I just want you to think about that. Uh, there may be things that I have said that you're up against that uh, you need a little more insight on, and, and everybody will learn from it. It won't be something that just, uh, you know, that uh, it is your own deal. Uh, people will grow from it as you ask your questions. So, uh, you know, but this is our fifth time together, and we base this on Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. We've been coming through the book of Proverbs now extensively, and um, we come up against this verse uh, where it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And uh, I told you that given the, the status of our church, all the young couples, all the young singles, all the young marriage, uh, that uh, we wanted to take a time and really focus on this, on, this, on this passage. And so far, if you remember, we have covered four major vital areas with a lot of sub-things that, but four major vital areas of importance. The first week, if you remember, we simply set a context for training up your children. And I told you that everything in your Christian life has to fall into a context. This is what the Bible does. When you learn the Bible, the principles of the Word of God, you, it forms the ability for you to look at things and not just see them as they appear, but see them within the context that they really are. You know, we use a lot of words and we say a lot of things sometimes that, that are all relative terms. And it sounds like we're making a, a, a good statement, and maybe we are. Or it sounds like we're making an accurate statement, and maybe we are. But in my mind, I, I have so skewered my mind with, with looking at everything as close as I can to it. You know, I... I, I hear people say things, and I ask myself, I never ask them, but I ask myself, uh, because everything has to be put into context. I have somebody, will be in a conversation, and somebody will, I hear somebody say, well, you know what, so-and-so, he's a really good man. And I say to myself, compared to who? You know, that's a relative term. He's a really good man. Compared to who? Joseph Stalin? Somebody said, well, He's done a really good job compared to what? You see, those are relative terms that really don't tell us anything. It's just a general statement. But when you compare it to something, it'll set the context. And somebody will say, that's a really good church. Compared to what? Benihana? Compared to who? That's a relative term that really, when we use it, it doesn't mean anything unless you have a context to establish what you're talking about. Somebody says, that's a really good family. Really? Compared to what? I mean, everything has to fall within a context. So the first week, we, we set a context. Without a context, everything is just relative. There's no real authoritative meaning to it. Second week, we looked at the importance of establishing a baseline of truth, the first line of defense in your children. 
the third and the fourth week, we talked about the evil day. And I, I took you on the fourth week, and I took you back to Daniel chapter 1 and showed you how you know, Daniel is a perfect picture of where your child is going to face and, and our kids in our church are going to be up against. And along with that, we gave you a lot of key words and phrases that you'll use once you understand them and incorporate them into the training up of your children. One of the best ones that uh, is, I use it all the time and just about everything I do, it is the concept of long-term versus short-term. Many times the things that we do short-term look good, but you look at them at the long-term, they don't look so good. I talked about proactive and reactive. Proactive being the place where you get out in front of things before they happen. Reactive is when you chase them to try to fix them. We talked about how to react versus respond. When you react, it's a, it's a fleshly thing. It's a knee-jerk reaction. But when you respond, you filter whatever you're dealing with through the principles of the Word of God, and you don't react, you take a little more time and you respond. I, I talked about the simple concept of, for all of us, of being smarter than the problem. Understanding that uh, the Christian uh, should be smarter than the issues that they have to face because you've got the greatest book in the world in your lap. Along with that, I talked about the high tower concept. In the Bible, you'll find the Tower of David. Uh, he talks about his high tower. And I told you how that the high tower is, in our life, in an inspirational application, is being lifted up through the Word of God and, and building the principles into our lives where it lifts us up that we look beyond the circumstances of life and many times see what's coming long before it gets there. I, I tell you all the time a little free phrase concept that, again, I use all the time for every Christian. You got you to look ahead, you got to look around, and you got to look behind. The high tower allows you the ability to do that. Then we talked about in dealing with your children in the world, how that many parents try to isolate their kids from the world, which doesn't work. But the real key from the Bible standpoint and the principle is not to isolate them from the world, because the world's always going to be there, but rather to insulate them from the world. Give them what they need to protect them from what's coming their way. We talked in Matthew chapter 7, the great principle that I think ought to be the, one of the key hallmarks of every family, and that is building your house upon a rock and not upon the sand. And then I define for you the age of accountability. We're going to even talk about that more in the weeks to come, but I showed you from the Bible how important that age is and how our responsibility of parents is really wrapped around that. That is the key focus uh, for your child, no matter uh, where you're at in life. And I showed you how that each week we kind of go through a compounding effect with these. We build on what we talked about last week. And we're, we're moving along uh, those lines, and we do. And today, I want to begin to walk <coughs> you through uh, the next level of understanding on how to use some things in the Bible. But before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. John Gowans, would you stand up and ask God blessing on the on, the, uh, on our message this morning. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this church and the preacher that you've uh, provided for us. And especially, Father, for your word. We just ask, Father, that we uh, pay attention to what is being preached today, applied to our hearts and our families. And just look to you, Father, for guidance and direction from the Holy Spirit. We pray all this in Jesus' name. You know, growing up is a progression uh, for all of us. And growing up is a progression of developing 
different stages in life. Uh, we talk about infants and babies, and then we talk about adolescents. We talk about junior high age kids. We talk about teenagers. We talk about young adults. We talk about adulthood. We talk about uh, older folks and aged and, and people in age of golden years of retirement. All of those are stages of a progression of life. And, uh, you know, uh, it's really important to understand that. Because in dealing with your children, there, th- th- there's five stages of progression of training and teaching that you, you want to go through. Uh, in Bible Institute, we started our Bible Institute last year because of all the host of young men and young ladies that, that really want a desire to learn the Bible. And, and I did something this time that I've really never done before, but uh, I saw how valuable it was. You know, you take the Bible. The Bible appears to be one of the most complicated books on planet Earth. 31,171 uh, verses, uh, 1,189 chapters, 66 books. I mean, it, uh, you look at it, and many times it, oh, it overwhelms you. But I showed you how that, that what we did is we broke the Bible down into 17 compartments. And every week or every month when we meet together, uh, we, we take that one compartment, we separate it out from the Bible, and we completely learn and understand what that, what that section means. And then when we get through with it, you'll have the ability to bolt it all back together and understand the overall concept of the Bible. You learn the Bible in stages. You don't just, God never intended for anybody to sit down and just start reading the Bible on their own and, and, and getting it all together. That's why God gave you a church. That's why God gave you pastors and teachers. Paul said, the same things I've committed unto you that you've heard of me, you commit now to faithful men. It's an unbroken chain of going through the different stages of spiritual growth. I've showed you before, coming through the Bible, how that in your own spiritual life, there are seven stages of your spiritual growth that you go through. And breaking it down just makes it a lot easier. And I want to begin today to walk you through uh, the five stages of training up your children. We're going to look at each component We're going to define it. We're going to talk about it. We can answer more questions about it tonight, or you can come over and see me anytime that you need to. But I want to show you how that these things, as an individual stage, and then how they bolt together uh, in the whole composite of your child's life. Now, last week, I showed you how that uh, your child will go through a transformation process. They will be transformed one way or the other. A transformation uh, for them to take their stand in life. And there's only two stands they're going to take. We saw it from Daniel chapter 1 last week. And that is they're going to stand for God or they're going to stand for the world. And, uh, you know, I showed you last week the four areas by which the world is going to come after them. And these five stages, when we understand it and we apply it, uh, will be the training of your child uh, to God. Uh, and the transitioning of your child to God, and a life of going to wind up serving Him, which is what ought to be the goal for all of us as parents. Now, many of you around here today, uh, you have newborn babies, and you have babies that are young children, and they're not able at this point in time, and you've asked me about this, they're not able at this time to sit around like some of the families are doing Take each lesson and do as we've talked about doing it. They're not ready to do that yet. And you have come to me and you have said, hey, uh, you know, uh, we just have a new baby. I want to, I don't want to, we're not ready yet. 
I, I want to, you know, I want to learn what I could. Okay, here it comes. This is for you today. This is going to give you the, the understanding of what you've got to start, and you can start right now. I don't care if they're only six months old. I don't care. You can begin the process now of what you can do. And we're going to talk about this today. Your kids, newborns or baby, uh, uh, and like I said, they're not able to have a family meeting as such, but there's some things that you can do. And this is where you will start with your newborn babies or your babies or wherever you're at with your kids, going back and understanding. And even if you didn't do these things from the get-go and now you're in a place where you're experiencing some problems, it's okay. All you have to do, I'm not, I'm not, I know you can't go back and fit, but understanding the whole concept is the key. Because I don't care where you're at. I don't care where you're at. There's always something you can do. Now, given the total collapse of the family today and all the issues with children that we see, what I'm about to say is probably going to be hard for most parents to grasp and understand, maybe even to believe. But what I'm about to tell you is absolutely true. And I realize in the world that we live in today, it's, it's, this is a foreign concept. But then most of the things that I teach you today are. But this is so true and so vital for you to understand this. And it's so out of touch with everything that's going on today. Most children and their parents, the older the child gets, the harder it is. It seems like the bigger the kid, the bigger the problems. And that seems to be the standard and the norm in most families. Christian families. I'm not even talking about the world. You know, it's easier for them at a young age when you can somewhat control everything. But when they hit 10, 12, and 13, 14, and 15, it gets really hard and everything begins to go south, so to speak. Now you're fighting all kinds of issues and problems, and in most cases, uh, you know, your child now here gets out of the control of the parent. But I want to tell you something. Now that is the standard today. In any church, I don't care where it is, in any church, in any Christian world, this is what we're faced with because of the total breakdown and collapse of the family. But based on the Bible format, Listen to me. As your child gets older, it should get easier, not harder. The older they get, the easier it should become to deal with them. And you're going to find that in many cases, they do not have the real issues to deal with. I get it. They're basic kids. I understand. They're going to have basic kid problems. I get it. There is no perfect child, just like there's no perfect parent, just like there's no perfect preacher, just like there's no perfect church. I get it. I understand. But the older they get, when you follow the basic fundamental lines of what I'm about to give you, if you do it right, the older they get, the easier it gets. Now, it simply comes down to Raising a family and training your kids and raising your kids at some point is going to require a lot of hard work. Those of you with kids know that. Now, the great thing about God and parenting in the Bible 
you get to choose where you do the hard work. You can do the hard work when they're babies and get them to that place and it gets easier or you can take the easy route at the beginning and then it really gets hard later on. You get to choose. Life is choices. It really is. And, uh, you know, that's just the way that it goes. Now, you know, you look at any church. You know, your Christian life is the same way, really. There's a lot of parallels between building a church and building a family. In fact, I would say to you that if you're paying attention, if you're in a good church that's building things right, use that as a model because there's so many parallels. You know, your Christian life is the exact same way. You're never going to be problem-free as a Christian because our biggest problem is our flesh. And we're always going to struggle with that. But you know as well as I do that the more you get into the Bible and the more you grow and the more you walk with God and the closer you get with God, your problems don't go away, but dealing with them becomes easier. And that's so true of almost everybody sitting in here. How many, of you were, how many of you were heavy drinkers before you got saved? How many wanted to be, just never did? <laughs> how many still are heavy drinkers? <laughs> the Alex is. Okay. How did I not know that? <laughs> Get the discipline committee right after church ready to go, okay? My point is this. You know what? the big major problems you had when you first got saved, you have worked through them. No, I'm not saying that, that Will doesn't want to, uh, Will, I'm not saying Alec doesn't want to go out and get smashed every once in a while. What I'm saying is, he doesn't. We all have our old sin nature and we all have things we look back on our life and we think, you know, what we used to do. And you may have that twinge for a moment, but then you realize something. You realize that end of the day, with now what you know and where you're at in the Bible, there isn't any value to that. The problems are still there, but your life, because of the principles of the Word of God, have gotten easier dealing with them. They didn't go away. The greatest lie that a preacher can tell his congregation is to get up there and say, if you get saved this morning, all your problems are over. To which I say, if you get saved this morning, all your problems are really going to just start. Your eternal security and salvation may be fixed, but oh boy, when you get up off your knees from getting saved and everybody's slapping you on the back and you're, you're happy as can be and you got the joy, joy, joy down in your heart and you walk out that door, guess who's waiting for you? And he's got his arm folded and he's going to say, oh, you're a Christian now. I'm so happy for you. You're saved on your way to heaven. You're never going to wind up in, in, my, in my lake of fire. You know what? I'm really glad for you that you're a Christian now. I always wanted to be one too. I just never had the stuff to do it. But now let me tell you something. I'm glad you got saved, but don't become a fanatic. You know, the Bible's okay, but don't just devour that Bible like all those other people in that church. And that guy preaching up there, don't believe everything he says. You're your own person. Hey, I'm glad you're saved. Congratulations. Just don't take it to, he's waiting for you. 
He's going to do, if he can't get your soul in hell, that he's going to make sure that he derails you, that you'll never, never, never be all that God wants you to be. That's his plan. And as you get into the Bible and you grow and you learn the principles and learn to sidestep everything that he's thrown at you, your problems don't go away, but they become easier. Casting all your care upon him, for he cared for you. I mean, now you don't have to deal with it. Now you got the greatest lawyer in the world. And he'll plead your case and plead your cause. It's just that simple. You know, and, and, and you look at any church. You'll have basically three types of families in any church. Any church. Number one, you'll have, just get them out of the way first. You'll have dialed-in parents who really do the work with their kids and do a great job, and it shows. Then you have the second group, that what I call midline parenting. They're great people. They love God. They have issues with their kids. Not 100% dialed in. Not always 100% their fault. Many times they got saved late in life or got dialed in late in life and their kids were... And so there's, there's circumstances to it. Sometimes they just didn't do what's right. But many times this... This mid-level parent will come to the place when they get into it and they start to see the problems, they immediately dial in and do what they need to do. In the Bible, there's a phrase that most people don't understand. It's called being blameless. The Bible talks about being a pastor that needs to be blameless. I've always struggled with that because I didn't know how a pastor could be blameless when he gets blamed for everything. But the truth of the matter is it's not talking about that. It's talking about that when you as a pastor or you as a Christian do something wrong, take responsibility for it and make it right. And once you make it right, and once you do what you're supposed to do, you're blameless. Nobody can blame you anymore. You'll have people that you have problems with in Christianity. And maybe you caused the problem. And, and you know, and, 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 and many times people hold grudges. Many times that they, you know, they don't want to forgive. They don't want to let things just go away. But the bottom line, is, and sometimes that bothers God's people. I've dealt with people like that all my life. And I always tell them, hey, look, when you go to that person and you do what's right and you ask for their forgiveness and you lay it on the line, no matter what happened or what you did, you're now blameless. And that's the greatest feeling in the world, to know that we're blameless. And, and, as, and now the problem is on them, not you anymore. You've done everything that God asked you to do. And I've seen parents, and dealt with them all of my life, that have actually lost their kids. They, didn't, they, they missed some things, or maybe they got saved late in life, or got dialed in late in life, and the kids were older and, and gone down the road already, and they, they tried to do everything that they could do, but when they came in and talked to me, we put a plan together that even though their kids today are out in left field someplace, I want to tell you that the parents before God this morning are blameless, because there's always something you can do. You may not be able to fix the total problem, but taking responsibility and dealing with it will make you blameless. And that's a great concept for the ministry, for Christianity, and the people that you have to deal with or you work with, or your own family. 
And so I have the midline parenting people who are great people, but sometimes they get find themselves, but in many cases, if not most of the cases, they do what they need to do. We put a plan together, and we get to a point where no matter what the outcome is, the parents do what's right and are held blameless now at this point. And don't ever, don't ever worry for a minute that, uh, I don't know how most pastors handle it, but if you do what's right in any given situation with your family, and we work together on it, and it doesn't work out, but you do what's right, I'll stand behind you 100%. Nobody will ever clobber you. I will take your side as you're a lawyer, and I will simply say, you know what? They're blameless. We Together, we did. They took responsibility. They did what they needed to do. They're blameless. Incredible concept. Then you have the third line of families who are basically a disaster. Mom and dad not doubt into anything. You know, and many times, you know, uh, I'm not talking about deadbeat people. Sometimes I am. But you would be surprised of how many of the famous preachers back in my day who, if I told you their name, you would would remember them as some of the greatest preachings and pastors you ever saw in your life who lost their kids to the world. We all hear about Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday, probably the greatest evangelist America has ever seen in the 20th century, maybe the world. Millions of people trace their conversion back to his meetings but his own boys died and went to hell. I mean, sometimes there are preachers who lose their kids. There's deacons who lose their kids. There are spiritual leaders in a church who lose their kids. They're not all deadbeats. Well, they are. They're just spiritual deadbeats. But you see that all the time. They're weak. They're, they, they're caught in the world system. And I've seen some great preachers who have built some great churches that actually lose their kids. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a thing where it, it all goes back to that complete and total breakdown. And you find where, you know, kids will run the show and uh, the parents can't get on top. Kids will always dictate the rules and, and uh, the parent simply becomes a pawn in the great chess game of life. John Wayne said once and something one time, and it's always been a favorite quote of mine, he says, life can be tough. But it's a lot tougher when you're stupid. And that is a true statement. That's not really my favorite word, as I told you the other night. But the more I see this Christianity today, it becomes my, more my favorite word. Now ask yourself this. Come on, let's, let's just get down and ask ourselves this. Let's put it a fluff aside. Let's scrape it off to the foundation Let's just get honest today and ask ourselves this. How come some kids just grow up and seemingly have no real issues? In our church and other churches too. I mean, they're kids. I get it. They're brothers and sisters. They fight like cats and dogs sometimes. They're sisters and sisters. They fight over whose clothes this is. I get that. But they go through life with mom and dad, and there's no deceit. There's no lying. There's no sneaking around late at night. There's no secret relationships. I mean, they can pick and choose the right friends 
without mom and dad telling them about it, or when mom and dad point something out, they, they go along with it. There's no secrets. They enter into their uh, the, the really tough years, and, and uh, it just doesn't seem to affect them. And nobody, nobody is more important to them than mom and dad, and nobody will ever pull them away. I don't know how many girls were snatched out of mom and dad's home by some good-looking guy who got more influence over the girl than mom and dad had. I don't know how many guys got ripped out of a family because some, some gal, uh, you know, uh, he, he, she had more influence over him than, than, than his own family. I, I don't know. I mean, I've seen where uh, coaches could have, you know, more influence in a kid's life than their own parent. I've seen teachers that the parent, the kids would gravitate to. And those teachers necessarily didn't teach them right, but they became more valuable to the kid than listening to what mom and dad had to say. And I'm telling you, I see kids today that nobody is more important to them than their mom and dad, and nobody will pull them away. And I want to say to you, that didn't happen by accident. Uh, where I go work out up there, they've got this little gymnastics, not a little, it's big, and there's, there's hundreds of little kids there that do gymnastics, girls, and uh, sometimes they're working out down there, and I see these little gals, I mean, they're about that tall, I mean, they're they just, I don't even think they're teenagers, some of them probably are, you ought to see those guys. They'll run down a thing about from here to the door, and they'll hit a deal, and they'll do four or five flips in the air, hit the ground, and, and keep flipping, and keep flipping, but I'd have vertigo so bad, I'd be in the hospital for a month. I seen a little gal sit on the floor. I would sit down and show you, but then I couldn't get back up. She sat on the floor, legs straight out, with one of those big ropes, kept her legs straight, and climbed up that rope with her legs straight out this way. I, I couldn't, and you know, and I watched them. Oh, the balance bar. That was really fun. The balance bar. That little thing about that wide that you walk on. And you stand on and then you do a flip on. And then you put one foot on. I fall down going up the stairs. And they're that wide. I'm worried about getting in there. I mean, them steps are wide, but I'll tell you. I bought a pair of waders. I did. I don't know what I'm buying about waders. I, you know, I just wanted, I told the guy, I, he says, what are you hunting? And I said, I'm not hunting anything. I'm baptizing. He didn't get that at all. <laughs> These waders weigh 175 pounds. I mean, I could baptize in the Missouri River this afternoon and I'd be warm. You'd be freezing to death, but they are incredible. And they're heavy. It's like he thought I said I'm going deep sea diving and he showed me the lower half. And I, they're heavy. And I'll tell you, I just, you know, but I've watched these girls. They're on that balance beam. They're not even looking. And then up to a flip, back down. Why, if I did that? <laughs> wow, would that ever hurt? I'm just telling you. I, 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 and they make it look so easy. I mean, you watch those little girls run down there, and they just give a little skip, hit that thing, and up in the air, and boom, 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 boom. boom. <sighs> And when you have kids and you see families where the kids, 
seemingly don't have any problems and they just really turn out and don't have any major, major issues and they wind up doing everything about right. Sometimes you look at that and you think, boy, that looks so easy. Just like watching those little kids on gymnastics. It's not easy. And it took those little girls hours and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours to get to do that. I've watched them in the training when they, they just didn't get, they just didn't have the spiritual gift of flipping. I watch them hook them up to a harness with two ropes on the side that go up, and then they, that way if they fall, the, the harness catches them. Now, that would, be, that would be fine. I mean, but, you know, one day sooner or later, that harness has got to come off. <laughs> they make it look so easy, but it isn't easy. They spent hundreds and thousands of hours. And I want to tell you something. You look at a family that's got great kids, and you see me don't have any problem. We get the idea, oh, parenting is easy. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of hours. And I want to talk to you about that today. I'm going to talk to you about that today. I mean, <clears throat> it just didn't happen by accident. They have a good core value system. They have been developed biblically in three very important areas. One, emotionally. They're strong emotionally. Two, they're strong physically. And three, they're strong spiritually. Much like what we saw with Daniel last week. Now that's because when it's done right and biblically, by God's design, Proverbs 22, 6, as they get older and you've done the hard work earlier, it gets easier. Hard to understand. I get it. I I get it. Just look at families that you see. And I want to tell you right now, there is no magic family. There is no magic church. There is no magic mom. There is no magic dad. There is no magic pastor. If it's worth its salt in anything, it's because somebody labored to get to that point. All families are the same. The mom and dad have old sin natures. The kids surely got old sin natures. Everybody's got one. The difference is how they were trained. And I want to talk to you about five stages of building your child and how they will be the key. And this is in place from birth to death, a learning process. Now, allow me to explain about these five stages, some things that that I want you just to carry with you when I talk about this. First of all, these stages will overlap. It isn't going to be that on January 1st of 2020, you were in stage one, and then two weeks later, you entered into stage three. They're going to be a progression. They're going to overlap. Not only are they going to overlap, but they're going to build, just like our lessons, they're going to build on each one. In other words, you're going to start with one, you're going to overlap into another, but you're going to build. You're never going to just do first stage and then forget it. It's going to be incorporated into everything you do. But the distance between stage one and stage two, there may be some overlap. And there may be some overlap because every child is different. So you may read my book on child training, and I give you the ages one way, and then I give them another way here. Every child is different. But it's truly that these are the five stages that you're going to have to go through. You know, the Christian life, again, and I use these parallels so you'll understand. The Christian life um, is the same way. It overlaps. 
as you continue to add to your faith. You know, most Christians don't understand how the devil operates. They don't understand how God operates. You know, when you look at God and you understand how God wants to work in your life, here's what God does. If you're ever going to get to where you need to be with God, you're going to go through your own progression and your process. You know what God's going to do? The first thing God's going to do is subtract some things out of your life. That will be the world system. Once he subtracts the things out of your life, then he begins to add some things. Once he begins to add some things and you start to take them in, then God begins to multiply some things. So the process is as God subtracts, then God adds, then God multiplies. Now the devil just does the opposite. The devil will take you and he'll add some things. That'll be the world. Then he'll subtract some things. That'll be the things of God. And then he'll multiply the things of the world in your life. See how it works? It's not complicated at all. It's very simple. And the Bible teaches very clearly that your Christian life or my Christian life, once we get saved and we give up the world, then it's a process the rest of your life of adding some things on each other. He says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, And besides uh, this giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Add to your faith virtue. Then he says knowledge. Then he says temperance. Then he says patience. Then he says godliness. Then he says brotherly kindness. Then he says charity. In other words, once you got saved and got subtracted the world out, then God adds some things, and those things that he adds will lead to God multiplying the blessings in your life and the things in your life. And uh, these are the seven things that you add to your faith. Nowhere does, after God subtracts the world does he subtract anything out of your life. He just wants to add to it. If he adds to it properly and you accept it, there'll be no need to subtract anything. Now, the first stage I want to talk to you about here in understanding this, and now that we're ready to go and we got that little introduction, first of all, is what I call the discipline stage. And this will start when a baby's born. So all you young families with kids are right in the, right in the perimeter here. And it'll run up to about four or five, somewhere in there. And during this time, there are going to be two watchwords that you want to remember. And the two words will be teaching and training. You want to remember that. They will overlap. These, these things will overlap. When I talk about the teach, I'm talking about here's where you lay down the rules of life, the basic fundamental disciplines of life. You, you teach them that. When I talk about training, I'm talking about once you teach them, the training then will be the reinforcing of what you teach by consistency and you having a plan You train through a consistency of teaching discipline. You have to understand that. Those are the two key words. And I want to tell you right now, this is the most important stage. Most parents lose their children right here. This is where most parents will turn over control of their family to the kids and never recover. You see it with mothers God bless them. They have a baby. And the baby's not sick. The baby's not, the baby's not, uh, the baby's not uh, got anything wrong with it. You take that baby in and you lay it down in the crib. You put everything just right. The music's playing. The little things are jingling around up there. Everything is going well. You walk out and close the door. 
baby cries. Babies start to cry. Now, at this point in your life, as young as that baby is, you have a teaching opportunity. Baby's not sick. Doesn't have colic. Doesn't have rabies. (laughs) Baby's fine. Now you have a choice in training. Most mothers, God bless you, you'll go back in, pick up that baby, I got four dogs, but two in particular are the smartest dogs in the world. They know one key word, treat. (laughs) And I've conditioned them. I've trained them. They got me. I failed in parenting my two labs. If I don't give them a treat, they don't go to the bathroom. They'll just sit at me and look at me. If I say, go potty, treat, we're done. Back in. Now, they didn't read a book on training your master. I trained them to do that. I took them in. Every time I took them out, I gave them a treat. After a while, now they're dumb dogs. They don't know anything about life. They don't know anything about the Bible. They don't know anything about God other than what Romans chapter uh, 8 talks about. They, 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 they're completely oblivious. They don't, they don't articulate words. I've tried it. Somebody said, my dog uh, understands because I'll say something and they'll blink at me and that means that they understand. You're nuts, lady. You are nuts. Your dog is blinking because dog blink. But we want to believe our dogs are human. You know that's true. I've even had people that said, argue with me, their dogs were going to heaven when they die. I got to admit, there's probably a better case for a dog going to heaven than some people, but that's not the way it works. And this, you know, and every time we came in, I'd give them a treat. One time I, I did a little test. I, 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 I was sitting on a couch looking at me, and I said to them, I, I knew they didn't understand, but I wanted to prove my point. So I said to both of them, they're both looking right at me. I said, I'm going to kill both of you. I'm going to go and get a ball bat. And I'm going to start with you, Daisy. And I'm going to beat you bloody. That old tail is going, ears down. And I said, then, buddy, I'm going to rip you off. I'm going to take a rope and hang it around your collar. And I'm going to pull you up. And I'm going to watch your eyes bug out. His tail's wagging. He's looking at me. Both of them come down and licking my face. Next day, they're all out there. I said, I love you guys. You're everything to me. I'll give you all the dog biscuits you want. Tail between their legs, off the couch, hiding around. All I see is two brown eyes looking over the top of the chair at me. They don't get it. They don't know, hmm, go potty, dog biscuit. I read that on page six. No, I trained them that way. And when your little baby in there is crying and you walk in and pick it up, Put it back down. Baby says, uh-huh. I want mama to hold me. All I got to do is cry. You cry again. Mama comes in. What's the matter, honey? Baby talking. Baby talk is, you're such a fool. <laughs> I'm going to do this all night long. <laughs> I love it. Oh, honey, honey. Put him down. Walk up. Oh, oh, oh. Leave him cry. Walk away, leave them cry. They'll stop in 15 minutes. They will. They'll start looking at the little thing booing around up in there. They'll, they'll get tired. They'll wear out. They'll say to themselves in baby talk, 
this isn't working. <laughs> this is where most parents lose their kids. And I'll tell you something else. This is where you're going to encounter the demonic thing of all demonic thing in your children. The strong-willed child. Oh, the defiant one. The one who you're sure has Viking blood in his veins. <laughs> defiant. This is where, at this age, this is where they first begin to test authority. They want to see how you're going to succumb to their demands. Most parents just broke down and fall down like a broken accordion. And I want to tell you something. If you have a strong-willed child, now's the time right here where you break it. And you have to break that strong will in that child early. And there's a way that you do that. And a child has to come to the point in this stage where he understands that there's no temper tantrums. There's no, no stomping your feet. No going out to the mall someplace and he has a toy and you say, put it back. And he said, no! I said, put it back. No! Come on, give me the toy. No! You take the toy in front of everybody, cashiers, managers, people in line, ah! you know, and what are you, you're embarrassed, aren't you? Sure you are. You should be. That's why they have those little half baskets in your cart. You stick his head down in that and close that sucker. He is quiet. This is where you begin the formulation of the baseline I'm not going to tell you again. Amen. Kid says to the brother, that means we got nine more times. <laughs> Let's do it. Hey, I said this when we started. How many parents, when you tell your child the first time, that's it, stop it, you don't want them to stop? You know why they don't stop? Same way my dogs won't go to the bathroom without a biscuit. I trained them that way. You tell them once. And when they're little and they're growing up, this is where you not only break the strong will, but you leave no uncertain terms that you are the decisive factor in this family on discipline. And they ain't getting away with it. You may have to work at it for a little bit. I'm not telling you that the first time you tell them don't do it, and they, that you may have to work the problem a little bit, but they'll get the message. They'll get the message. And, and I'll tell you, oh, I know I'm going to make a lot of parents mad. They're not going to get the message, in this case, with a timeout. Timeout's for basketball. It's for hockey. It's for football. I'm not saying there isn't a time that timeouts aren't important, but more cases, it's the parent needs the timeout than the kid does. You need timeout in the yard to scream. Timeout in the yard to have that favorite cigarette. Time out in the yard to sneak that small PBR out there to get your nerves calmed down a little bit. Timeouts, when this stage, don't work. They don't need a timeout. And this is where you're going to find that uh, you don't put up with any disrespect for adults. I mean, uh, you see it. You see where your kids will obey you, kind of. But when they get into the elementary and somebody, one of the workers says, now don't do that, they'll stick their tongue out at them. Now this is why I don't work in the elementary. This is why Bob doesn't work in the elementary. Amen. We would cut their tongues out. 
I'd put it in a jar in alcohol and give it to you to take it home. You can sew it back on if you want. It's up to you. My advice is don't. But I'm telling you, I won't tolerate that. I had a kid one time years ago in this church. I went up to him, just a little guy. I went up to him and I said, how are you doing today? And he kicked me. He's probably 20 years old now, and I'm sure he's still wondering how the last five times all four of his tires went flat. I know where he lives. <laughs> this is where they begin to test authority. Right now, see, in this little age, their disobedience is based just on action. But in time, if you don't deal with it, it's going to be based on attitude. You've got to stop that. Now's the time for strong, divisive, leaving no doubt in their mind who is in charge of this family. Another thing you can never tolerate is hitting and biting other kids. We've had, we've had, we've had kids in a nursery who are missing a chance to be on a walking dead. They're walkers. They bite people. And the parents say, oh, isn't that so cute? Cute. I had an uncle one time that had a dog. And you know how he cured that dog of biting him? This sounds gross. The dog bit him. You know what he did? He bit the dog back. Harder than the dog bit him. That dog never bit him again. Incorporate that into your training manual. It's hard work. Now, let me tell you something. I get this. I get it. Listen to me, Mom and Dad. I get it. You work all day. You work hard. You come home, and you're tired. You've got things you want to do, and you got that little child, that little kid, and the, honestly, let's just be honest now. Put it on the table. The last thing that you want to do after a full day at work is come home instead of vegging out Watching what you want to watch, doing what you do, now enter into a four or five hour training mode session. Let's be honest. And along with being honest, let me just say this, you should have got a puppy. Amen. Kids require work. Hard work. And I get it. I get it. All right, we get through the discipline stage, and of course... Here's open things for you to ask questions tonight. And then we move into the second stage, which is the relationship stage. And this will be somewhere from 6 to 12, 13. It's an overlap. And this stage is very important. When you build through, number one, a baseline of discipline through truth. Now, here's where you can really go to work with the teaching and the training. And in this section, there's two more key words you want to learn. Communication and availability. Now you can begin to lay out the vision, because they can understand now. You can build a relationship, but they're not little babies anymore. Where they're, Now they're beginning to move into a, a concrete world where they can understand basic concepts. And now you begin to lay out the vision of God that God has for them, your family, and how they are key, a key part to it. Most kids grow up in families, first of all, n having no clue what the vision is, true, having absolutely no clue that they ever exist and fit part of it. The reason why they'll go get more involved in being something else here 
it's because you never made them something here. Building your children into the family concept, constantly reinforcing at every opportunity their importance to you and your family through the expression of love and commitment and the family wholesomeness of that, man, we could not be a family without you. You're that important to us. And I want to show you now how important you are, but as you grow and get older, I want to show you the long-range effect of, of how important you are. You make yourself available to be to them uh, through everything in life, to do for the things, and you're never too busy for them. This is where you begin to develop boundaries for them, that through your relationship they understand why there has to be boundaries. This is where you learn to read your child. Proverbs 20 verse 11 says that uh, a child is known by his doings. You learn to read your child. And when you learn to read your child, then you don't put your child into a situation where you avoid unrealistic expectations for them. But at the same time, you, you use any disobedience as a teaching tool. You'll know when to spank and you'll know how to spank. There's four basic Things And, of course, we can get into this at any time you want to talk about it, but there's four uh, basic times that you spank. One of them is rebellion. The Bible says that rebellion is a sin of witchcraft. You stop it now. Lying. Tell your children, you know what, I don't care what you did, just tell me the truth. You lie to me, you tell me the truth, we'll work through it. You lie to me, you're done. Willful disobedience. Defiance. Looking at that look into your eye as you're the parent, when they're just a little kid, telling you what they're going to do. And then, of course, hurting others. Using any disobedience as a teaching tool. And there's a way that you do that. We don't have time to get into it today. Here's where you become their best friend. Here's where after laying the foundation of stage one, now through the relationship stage, you become their best friend. They now begin to trust and believe you more than anybody. You have that option with them. It just comes down to your communication and your availability to them. If you don't make yourself available to them and communicate to them, I promise you the devil will find somebody that will. Here's where they begin to block out the outside influences that will have no more power in their life than you. This is where you become the role model for them. And then we move into the next stage. And these things you can see are a progression. Once you come through the discipline stage and into the relationship stage, now as they get a little older, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, whatever, it's an overlap. Now is where you enter into the fellowship stage. And this is where they were most likely, either at the end of stage two or in stage three, they will hit the age of accountability. And they'll need to be saved. You need to understand that. And up to this point, you as the parent, really, and most parents don't see this, you are all that these young kids 
ever see and understand about God. Everything they are going to form about God that's going to come to them when they trust Christ as their own personal Savior will be only what they see Christ in mom and dad. And brother, that is a scary thought. Their knowledge of God, their knowledge of Christ will be based up to this point on what they see in the parents. They'll judge the validity of Christianity, the validity of it all being really true, based on they see it really true in your life. And in most cases, that's zero. Uh, you're in trouble. Now here's where the parent should, through their relationship and the fellowship, now begin to transform that to Christ using what you have built with them in a relationship and fellowship to now transition them at this age of accountability based on what you have with them, shoehorn them into a relationship and fellowship with Christ at salvation. You have everything in place. The mom, dad's a picture of the Lord Jesus. The mom's the picture of the church. They have everything there, the godliness of what's going on in the family, the love, the security, everything that they see, that warm, fuzzy feeling that kids want so desperately and they cling to. And now you've been so available to them. You've made yourself accountable to them. You've made yourself in every aspect of it. Now you've trained them and you've taught them. And now you get to this stage and you take all of the things that they've seen in you as Christ and now it's a walk in the park to transfer that to their own relationship with Christ. Because now you have an example and a model to tell them. Now you can sit down with them at salvation and it's a thing where you show them that the relationship that you had with me was only here to get you ready for the most important relationship you'll ever have and that is with the Lord Jesus Christ. All the things that we have done for you, all the things we've put into your world, all the things that we've loved you unconditionally are waiting for you in Christ Jesus and walk them right into it. Giving them an understanding of God's salvation and a relationship with Him based on the one that you've had with them. Reinforcing the family values along the way. Reinforcing the discipline along the way. Reinforcing God's purpose for the family and how much they're a part of it. And now they grow up and they come up in a family not knowing any other way but God's way. You know, again, going back to the parallels, there are a lot like a lot of you here. The thing I love about so many of you that, uh, especially you young singles that are saved, uh, you never were part of a corrupt Christianity church. You never had to see the politics that goes on and the dishonest and the underhanded things that happen. You were just a good old garden variety sinner. Somebody brought you here. You got saved. You got into the book. God began to grow you up. You got the disciple. You got going. And now you have really made something of yourself. And you had, didn't have to wade through all that other garbage that's out there in Christianity. That is the greatest way to do it. And when you take a child and you bring him up in that structure, he, he grows up 
not knowing anything else like so many of you. All you know is the King James Bible is the Word of God. All you know is God saved you to serve Him. All you know, you're not worried about this or that or being a deacon or being this. All you want to do is just be what God wants you to be. And you don't have all the baggage. You may have some baggage from the world. Hey, I can deal with that. I'd much better deal with baggage from the world than baggage from the last church you were at. So that gets complicated. But your kid grows up in an environment where he doesn't know any other way but loving God and walking with God because the only example he's seen and had is mom and dad doing the same thing. You have built the right discipline in his life. You have built the right relationship in his right. And now you are building the right fellowship in his life. And all this will lead to the right walk with God. Now the fourth one. And this is where I told you it starts to get easier. The fourth one, it will be the responsibility stage. This will be 15, 19, 20, I don't know. Uh, it, it, every kid is a little different, but it'll be in that time frame. And there's overlap. And at this stage, because you have done your work, you have a good foundation to fall back on and, and to keep building on. Now where most parents are pulling their hair out and going nuts with their kids, you have built a working relationship with them that will naturally, they will naturally respond to truth. You know, you now have a solid base and a solid bond called trust based on truth and teaching them the principles of the Word of God. They see and understand how it all works now. And their responsible ability to the family. They see that now. They're part of the team. When they understand the team concept, they're not going to argue about pitching in and helping. Because they're a team. They're like so many of you. How do you think that baptistry got done? Did I, I mean, there was guys in this church who saw a need. A couple of them started it. The rest of them piled in. And everybody worked their, their regular time. That put in time. They could have said, no, I'm too busy. I got that. They understand they're part of a team, and when you're part of a team, you do whatever needs to be done. You don't get to pick and choose what you want to do. So your kids grow up, grass needs cut, trash needs to go out, clean the room. That's one I failed growing up, but I do have a pretty good another thing. Pick up this, pick up that. Could add car need washed. You don't have to fight with them. You've conditioned them to think that we're a team. We work together. You're absolutely vital to our family. We wouldn't be a family without you. You're everything. You're God's gift to us. And with that comes a tremendous responsibility on our part, but on your part, to hold the team together. At this point, you have accomplish two great things in their life. One, they cannot stand to be out of fellowship with God. And two, they can't stand to be out of fellowship with you, mom or dad. You get to that place in your life with your kids and your family, you got something going. Not only can they not stand to be out of fellowship with God, they can't go an hour. They can't go a day. They can't go overnight, right? 
Right? Right? Right? Right? Thank you. They can't go, they can't go an hour. When that fellowship is broken, it's like there's a hole in me. Something is missing. And that's the same way they, they are with God. They can't go through a day being out of fellowship. All based on the parent in the early years being Christ in their world and them five stages transforming and transferring everything to them. Then number five, the last stage, is the ministry stage. Again, I got this 15 to life, but that's not a prison term. That's just thing here. But it's an overlap. Now you've come full circle. Now you're where you need to be. You've come through the discipline stage, the, the relationship stage, the fellowship stage, the responsibility stage, and now you've given them the view of God and your family. You've built the consistency of reinforcing it. And now you have reached the final phase and the ultimate goal for your children. Establishing them in the ministry. The unbroken chain of God's heritage, our children, the fruit of His reward. Families ministering together as teams. Teams that are inseparable. Teams that are unbreakable. It's like they talk about John the Baptist when he was preaching. He said, a reed shaken in the wind, but it never got broken. There'll be times that your family may be shaken in the wind, but it'll never be broken. You know, again, the parallels. It's the same concept with our church. Building teams of men and women who work together. And, uh, it, and it, it just doesn't happen in a family, and it just doesn't happen in a church. You know, in our church, there is a, a core base of people. Every church will have a core base. It's nothing unique to our church. Every church will have one. The only unique thing maybe in our case is ours is a very large one. And out of 250, maybe 300-some people, uh, you know, we have a very large base uh, of people who are what we would call core people. I, I'm amazed sometimes on Sunday morning, and Bob has done an impeccable job with the prayer groups and continues to raise it up to different levels. But I, I walk up here, and you see me walking around up there, and I walk around down here. Hey, there's over half our church in those prayer groups. That says something. That's incredible. In most churches, you have prayer groups, you get four or five people to show up, if that. And then you got to feed them breakfast. I ain't giving you squat. Bible Institute, yesterday morning, it was packed. Young men and young ladies wanting to learn the Bible. And on top of that, older Christians that had been through it four or five years ago says, you know what, oh, you ain't leaving me out of this. Amen. People ministry next Saturday. It'll be packed. People saying, I want to learn how to deal with people. Thursday night Bible study, it was packed. You see, in a church, the core base is unmovable. And in a family, the core base is unmovable. They're rock solid. The church is built and stands based on the core. It's built on a rock, Matthew chapter 7. 
I mean, if the rest of the church in any situation, if, the re- if in any church, if the, if the rest of the church all got mad and left, you know what? It wouldn't affect anything because the job gets done by the core people. That's why it doesn't matter. I mean, you love people and you want to give everybody a shot and you want to do whatever you can do to help them wherever they're at, but you know as well as I do, there's some people that do not want to move past point A. Outside influences that would pull uh, people off task and in a church will not affect them. The mixed multitude won't affect them. The world won't affect them. Bad attitudes won't affect them. They see the value of what God has given them here, and you're not going to let anything pull you away from what God has given you because you see the value. It's true in the core of a church. It's true in your family. Your family, your kids say, ain't nothing pulling me away from this family. You know what? God put me here. I'm here. I'm part of the team. They need me, but I need them. It's like 1 Samuel chapter 3. I told you Thursday night, the thing that makes so many of you where you really are is like old young Samuel. He let none of the words of God fall to the ground. And you haven't either. And in your family, your family comes to the place where your kids, that's none of the words that mom and dad give them fall to the ground. When you build your family the same way you build a church, your kids will be solid to the core. Nothing or no one will affect them. That daily provision that we talked about last week will never get to them. All the negative forces on this planet will not move them because like so many of you in this church, you're the core. You know what you got. Nobody's going to take it from you. The older I get, now listen to me, the older I get, the more I understand, the less value I am to this church. When we started this church, I had to build it on my strength, my endurance, my fortitude, my (laughs) bad attitude. I had to build it on me because of the, I mean the Lord, but I had to build it on, on my stand because you were all young. That's all changed now. My stand has went by the wayside, though I still have my stand. It's you that stand and make this church now. It's not my strength, it's the strength of you that makes this church. And the older I get as pastor, and the stronger the core becomes, I see I'm working my way out of a job. Now, I'm not going to retire anytime soon, just like you as a parent isn't going to retire soon, but here's what I'm trying to get at. I'm 67 years old. I'll tell you right now to put all your fears to rest. I will be in this pulpit preaching till the day I die. I got no plans to move to Florida. Hawaii doesn't do anything for me. Been to Europe. It's as dirty as can be. Don't care about it. I got one thing in my life in the last few years that I may have. And I know I got more, life, I got more time on the other side than I got on this side. I get that. But I got to also tell you, I'm having a time of my life. Amen. And I'm going to stay in that saddle, and I'm going to preach the book, and I'm going to train young men and young ladies till I can't do it anymore. But I'm not under the illusion that there isn't going to come a day, if Jesus doesn't come, that the torch is going to have to be passed. But it's just like your family. 
you as mom and dad are not going to be around forever. And through these five stages of building your family, like the five stages I built a church, just as someday I'm going to have to pass the torch to the core, you as mom and dad are going to have to pass the torch of your family to the core. It's life. Most parents are oblivious. Most pastors are oblivious. Hey, most pastors come to the place where they get to be 50, 60 years old and they've been in the ministry 20, 30, 40 years and, and uh, they think they've done their part and, and so they all retire. Hey, let me tell you something. When it comes to, if I've learned anything, when it comes to the ministry and getting smart and quit doing some dumb things and get to the place where you really see the value of what God is doing, you don't get to that point till you're at least 60 years old. And right when they're at their prime, when they have more information, more experience, more anything where they could impact and pass the torch to the core, they're off to the dinosaur graveyard. They're on the golf course. They're on their boat fishing. They're on vacation. In their minds, they've done their, You ain't done squat. The ministry and pastoring and preaching is a lifetime calling. There's no discharge from this war. Just pass the torch. And I know I won't be around forever. There may be a time that I am in a wheelchair and I can't do anything. You've got to wheel me in and out. I'll, I'll always do what I can do. I'll put the little white envelopes in the books. I'll stand back there and yell at the kids. Keep me out of the baptistry. But I'm not such a fool as to know that in my ministry, building this church, there's going to come a time, if Jesus doesn't come, where I can't do it anymore. You're going to have to pick up the torch. I, and, and the only way you'll do that is if I have trained the core, and the core is strong enough that it can go on without me. And you pick it up. You've been with me now. You know what I believe. You know what I stand for. You know my strengths, my weaknesses. You know the good side of me, the bad side of me. You know everything about me that there is. You bought into what God is doing here. You put your life and soul into it just like I did. And now the process of ministering together is, is real. And there comes a time when the torch needs to be passed. And in your family, it will be the same thing. The unbroken chain of churches who believe that book and stand for it. The unbroken chain of families. Getting to the place where you, the parent, are more important and the most valuable, important asset in your child's life. And they, like Samuel, like you and me in the ministry, when it comes to you as mom and dad, they let none of your words fall to the ground. An unbroken chain of families ministering together. Building your child through the five stages, understanding they overlap, understanding that there's a fundamental discipline stage very early that has to be done. The other four stages will make it or break it on your ability to accomplish the first one. And then the relationship stage, where you begin to dialogue with them, have a, have a meaningful relationship. It isn't just they're a little child and you take care of them when they get an ouchie. Now you can talk to them. Now you can begin to relate to them. Now they can see, and you begin to put words to what they see and what God is doing in your family. 
than the fellowship stage. And at this point, they based on the fellowship that they have built with you, now you introduce them to the greatest fellowship they'll ever have. That's with the Lord Jesus. Once you get that, you build it, and it comes to the responsibility stage. Hey, Mom and Dad, I'm a team. What do you need? Just like you. I got boys up there that all I got to do is walk in and say, hey, my truck's loaded. Will you take it down there? Here's the keys. Go drive it down. You think I'm worried about them stealing my truck? No, because I got a bomb in it with a switch. If they get out of the parking lot, I just send them up. Whatever I need to have done, they do it. Whatever. Whatever needs to be done, you gals just jump in and do it. You know what? You know why? Because we're a team. You know, and I, you know, and I, there's some jobs that I ask you to do that I feel I feel bad about because they're they're not glorious jobs. They're dirty jobs. We had a one of the men's bathroom stools was all messed up last week. I look at it. I don't know what to do with it. I flushed it four or five times. And just we could have used it for a bathroom It was overflowing. I don't know what to do. Tried to get my hand. It wouldn't work. Somebody fixed it. I never called Larry. I figured I'd call him this week. I was going to see him. I walked in today. There was a note. Was a was a was a do not use sign on it. Now it's gone. I flushed it. Works. Doesn't bubble over. It, it it's great. Somebody did it. No, that was a nasty job. I don't I don't know who did it. I don't want to know who did it. God, I mean, believe it or not, there will be rewards of judgment to Christ for unclogging a urinal. I just want you to know that. <laughs> But that's what we have here. You see something, you fix it. You see something needs to be done, you do it. That's a team. And that's where the family gets to. Everybody works together. Everybody pulls together. Everybody gets to the point through the responsibility stage, they get to the ministry stage. And it's a thing where now families are ministering together. The full flourishing of the thing. The unbroken chain. The way God designed it to be. Of Families ministering throughout the generations together, passing the torch from one generation to another. You know, I know a lot of you did not come out of homes like that. I know that. I have the utmost respect for you. I really do. It takes a lot to get my respect, especially in parenting. I have people that I, I love to death, but I, wouldn't, I do not respect anything about them as far as parents are concerned. I mean, I've had that all my ministry. I've seen parents who knew better, who, who know better. But, you know, many of you came out of homes and families where it was a disaster. And the thing that I love about you and the thing that makes, endears me to you is to see you where you're at right now. And some of you are married and you have kids. Some of you are not even married yet. But I know a little bit about you. And I know that you will be the first in a long line of the generations of your family to break the chain of all the world and start the binding chain of ministry with your family. From this point on, with you getting married, with your kids, and then their kids, and their kids, it's going to move on from there. That is the greatest feeling that I could ever express to you in seeing in some of you. You really got it. You work hard at it. You don't make any excuses about it. You do what needs to be done and you work hard and it's going to pay off for you. It's going to pay off for you. And to me, sitting here in my side of the golden years looking back and realizing that, hey, you know what? Someday this thing is going to have to, uh, uh, it's going to, have to move on and I'm going to have to not be part of it. I want to tell you something. It's comforting <laughs> for me to know that if I would have out the scene tomorrow, 
there's a core of young men and young ladies that would see that none of God's words fall to the ground when it comes to this church. We don't have very many Bible-believing New Testament local church in the planet anymore. We can't afford to lose one. We sure can't afford to lose this one. But it all depends on your family, what you need to do, what you're going to do, what you are doing, and how you let me help you.